Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, honey, you know your dad's world-famous chili. Yeah, the one that takes 24 hours to make. So I was trying to help out and bring the pot to the table, but it was like super hot. And then I um dropped it, and now the floor looks all, you know, stained with chili. Look, the point is, you guys cool with pizza for dinner? <laughs> Honey? Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Aditya says, in case World War II hadn't happened, do you think Bradman would have been the first batter to cross 10,000 test runs and 50 test hundreds? At the same time, maintaining an average of 100. Also, apart from Bradman, which other players were most affected by World War II in that they were robbed of their prime years? Yeah, I'd have to go back and have to look at the exact numbers, but he missed out on seven years and he scored 7,000 runs. Maybe he retires slightly earlier, of course, um, which is fairly normal thing for Australian cricketers, I suppose, in that era to have done. Um, so if that's the case, Bradman probably changes a little bit. But yeah, the extra 3,000 runs, I don't think would have been that big an issue for him over that period of time. I don't think there's anything that would have gone on in his game that would have changed his average or anything else. Uh, so from that point of view, yeah, he would have been pretty handy. Headley Verity was very affected by World War II, of course. He passed away. He was a brilliant bowler for the war. There was a whole bunch of... New Zealand bowlers who uh, – bowlers. There was a whole bunch of New Zealand batters, I think, who – trying to think of the names. Uh, I want to say Martin Donnelly. I feel like that's a name. Who ba- basically, you know, we never saw the best of – trying to think of some of the other players. Oh, well, George Headley's another really good one from the West Indies. Some of the English players who were coming through before. And I'm sh- I think there was a lot of players who maybe we hadn't quite seen the most of. Chuck Fleetwood-Smith would have been a really interesting one. You know, we saw him uh, put in those horrendous figures at the Oval, but uh, you talk to the other spinners of that time and they say that, you know, he might have been the most talented out of all of them. You know, left-arm wrist spinner who could bowl at top pace. Uh, we still never really had anyone outside of Michael Bevan in a test match or two do anything like that. So he was a fantastic cricketer. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, I, I mean, in truth, there was would have been a lot of cricketers, but we won't know about all of them because you, you almost need to have been good between 35 and 38, um, you know, and really established yourself and then missed out on your peak years. I think it would have been really interesting to see where George Headley would have gone from the perspective of he was already, you know, one of the world's best batters at that point. He would have put a lot of pressure on West Indies cricket to change quicker than it did when it comes to the leadership, uh, you know, giving black players the captain, captaincy and everything else. Patrick says, your batting skills um, in being a keeper batter as opposed to being a regular batter? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I'm, I've always thought that when you're a specialist keeper, there are certain things that you are, you are good at doing um, that, that normal batters are not as good at doing. So I'm trying to think of the best way of putting it. Uh, you know, that sort of Jack Russell type player who can kind of stay out there. Persona Jay Warden was probably pretty similar, actually. Who can stay out there that they may not quite read the game as a batter and they may not see the ball in the exact same way that a batter would. But their extra skills as a wicketkeeper, especially in those those two cases, because they were so good as wicketkeeping, allowed them to be handier batters than probably they deserve to be. Um, but I, I don't think there's... Other than tiredness and fitness, which I think are incredibly important things when it comes to being a keeper batter, I don't think there's any big difference between the two. I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there is a freedom involved with being a keeper batter. 
And we do know that in test cricket, there is a big drop-off in the fourth innings uh, when you're a wicketkeeper. And I don't think it's quite as stark in first-class cricket, probably just because there is, you know, one fewer day, nine fewer overs. Um, but but I think, you know, more or less, uh, the batting seals are exactly the same for both. It's just that there are probably some wicketkeepers out there who have separate kinds of skills. Ashmo says, was Joel Garner just as good as Curtly Ambrose? I saw this question when I was when I was cropping them. I think, and I say this with Curtly Ambrose was the guy who I imitated in the backyard. I think if you've watched the YouTube videos, I think I have three Curtly Ambrose t-shirts. Um, one of my favorite cricketers of all time. I think pound for pound, Joel Garner was a better bowler than Curtly Ambrose. I think he was a slightly better one-day bowler. And I think he was as good a test bowler, but I'm going to put one massive caveat here. Joel Garner bowled first change. He didn't get access to the new ball the way that Curtly Ambrose did. To have Joel Garner's record at first change, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. And partly it's because there were so many good West Indian bowlers. You know, he had, you know, Roberts holding before him. You know, Marshall Ambrose after him, plus great bowlers in and around him, and Walsh was there as well. Uh, but I don't think he ever got the credit he deserved, partly because we didn't look at stats this way and we didn't have all this. But, you know, there's the old Ginger Rogers line of, you know, it did it backwards um, in heels, which someone, I, wasn't there a movie recently that made fun of that and said that that isn't the case because they went around in circles. But anyway, um, I think if we really were being honest, Joel Gunn is probably the best first change bowler in the history of cricket. Certainly best first best first change seam bowler in the history of cricket. And Curly Ambrose isn't in the best two opening bowlers of all time. As good as he was, I don't think you would automatically put him in the best two opening bowlers of all time. And so with that in mind, uh, I would probably pick Garner. But there's not much in it. I mean, I think Ambrose would have – I actually think Am the way Ambrose bowled, he probably also would have been a fine first change bowler as well. Um, but I just think that Garner was made to do that and to end up with a bowling average of, you know, hovering around 20 without getting the new ball the way that all the other greatest bowlers, seen bowlers in history really have. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the best first change bowlers of all time, you're really looking at Garner, Mornay Morkel, Jax Callis, I'm missing one. Wagner, Neil Wagner. There aren't that many, right? That's a lot of recent guys. And so, you know, throughout the history of the game, the best seam bowlers have been new ball bowlers, which you know, don't need to explain to anyone. Makes the most sense. The ball's going to do the most for them at that point. So to be as good as Joel Garner without getting the new ball, I just think is absolutely, you know, next level. Perhaps, you know, it would be worth me having a look at the difference between his record when he, on the rare occasions, he did get the new ball. But, I think he was absolutely fantastic bowler. Will says, as the game becomes more and more professional, will any international player ever be as bad a bat as Chris Martin for as long as he was? Yes. And I get your overall point there. However, I think the game will probably become more specialized in certain ways. In fact, you may even get a point where, and I've talked about this before, we might have substitutions in all forms of cricket, but certainly T20 cricket, it's, basically there not quite but basically there and i think we will get substitution so i think we'll actually get people who are complete specialists and if you look at baseball although you know otani's sort of changing baseball a little bit if you look at baseball um certainly the more professional baseball got the worse pitchers got at batting 
uh, and the less they had to bat in the end, and then they just stopped them batting. I would assume cricket's more likely to go in that direction than anything else. And so, you know, the next Chris Martin might not even have a reason to work on his batting. All right. James says, can you see any reason that Virat Kohli is so much better in T20Is than IPL, or is it likely just variants? It, look, variants probably plays a huge part in this. The one thing I would say is that he has had very good IPL seasons before. And so he may not have – he has obviously struggled at times as well. And he's te- you're right, his T20 international record is – certainly much better but but it's not that he's never made runs in the IPL so that kind of again leans me towards variance a little bit more the only addendum I would make to that is it's my memory and I haven't looked it up but my memory is he's much better against um seam bowling in t20 cricket than he is against spin ball which hasn't always been the case in other formats of cricket but but I think in t20 cricket he slows down a lot Against the uh, against spinners and knocks them around a little bit, and then occasionally, you know, goes goes long and straight. Uh, in international cricket, I wonder if the quality of the spin bowlers he has faced has not been as strong because there's a lot of teams out there that are seam bowler dependent. You don't really get that in the IPL. You're always going to face two slash three, you know, probably one strong spinner, maybe two strong spinners, and a third spinner who can do something. That's not as common in international cricket. There's a lot of teams that just don't have that, you know, that amount of bowlers available to them. So I wonder if that is a part of it, but I don't know. I'm not sure if there is a hairier sport than cricket. From the early greats WG Grace and the demon Fred Spothers onwards, cricket has always been Hasut, Boom, Gooch and Dev with their upper lip work. Shoab and Imran's incredible manes, not to mention Lily's incredible chest rug. Our sport loves curated hair and so does Manscaped. They just look after the bit that you can't see. So if you want a cricket-inspired downstairs pubic mustache, we can think of no item better than the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. Whether you're steaming in from the ladies' end or mounting a strenuous rear guard, always put your trust in Manscaped, who will look after your lower order. So go to manscaped.com and buy their kit with my red inker code, all one word, and get yourself 20% off and make yourself 20% sexier. Uh, Vivek says, will we ever see a mixed gender league in T20 cricket? Like mixed doubles in tennis? If so, how do you envision it playing out, specific roles for specific genders? I suppose as cricket is currently played, you know, you would assume that spinners and wiki keepers would be the obvious place that would fit into mixed gender role, uh, mixed gender teams. The power is the biggest problem with the batting. The problem that women have and this is talking to women players a lot, when they play against men is usually height. And you see that a little bit with the tenant. You know, the power is a problem, but also the height is a problem when they play against, you know, mixed doubles partners. Quite often get those big six foot seven, you know, um, double specialists who really give the women a lot of trouble because they can put a little bit of topspin on the ball and it's just going to be above the woman's shoulder consistently. And that's the biggest problem with batting for women. I'm, I'm not saying pace can't be a problem and their lack of power can't be a problem, but they can use the pace of the bowlers. Um, their biggest problem is just their inability to get on top of the ball. When you play a lot of women's cricket, you don't play people who are bowling, you know, over the height of six foot three that often. You know, I've I mentioned this a lot, but Annabelle Sutherland is a particularly slow bowler, but she also happens to be massively tall and has a very, very upright action. And I don't have the Crickviz or the Hawkeye stats to back this up, but I'd say she has probably one of the highest releases. And it means that even being a lot slower, 
um, it causes problems. So the height is massively a problem. I don't think we'll ever see mixed gender um, cricket teams. I just don't think, you know, it, it's something we're moving towards. But if we did, as I said, spin bowling is, is an interesting thing. Um, there are certain spin bowlers like Jess Jonathan, I think, who would do very, very well in, uh, you know, in against men or hold their own against men. And the wicket keeping is the other obvious one. You know, Sarah Taylor um, was, you know, sort of a pioneer in that in that way. And, and we know that in some ways women's cricket encourages better wicket keeping skills because you keep at the stumps more often. And so it does actually allow for, um, I don't want to say more, more specialists, but you're working on the, on the skill aspect a little bit more than the athletic side of things that in, in men's wicket keeping. Ian says, had their careers overlapped, how would Stokes and Flintoff have complemented each other across formats for England? Okay. So if you had them in test cricket, it's a bit tricky because you have to think about the wicketkeeper here. But if you had them in test cricket, would you not have had Stokes batting at five or six? Yeah. Could you have had Stokes at five? Wicketkeeper at six, Flintoff at seven. Let's say it's let's just say it's Bairstow or um, Pryor. Those are probably the wicketkeepers that um, you know the, each player probably played the most. With just guessing, but um, you know you can throw Butler in there as well if you wanted to. Uh, then you've I think you're getting the most out of Flintoff if he's batting at seven uh, rather than trying to bat him at number six, where you know he had some batting skill, but he was a weak number six um, and. Then you also have Stokes batting at number six, whereas, you know, obviously we've seen him batting at number five. He's got quite a low average for a guy who bats at number five. So I'd rather see him at number six. Yeah, sorry, him. No, I'm getting my numbers wrong here. No, he'd still have to bat at number five, wouldn't he? So then you'd have him and Flintoff at five and seven, wicketkeeper at number six. Um, that would allow them to probably play, you know, more specialist spinners. I think you get the most out of Flintoff the batter in that situation and you would also probably not work flint off into the ground as much because you could give some of those you know longer spells to um stokes who does who wasn't as good a bowler as flint off of course but um but had to, has the ability to bowl some of the similar kinds of spells to him that meant also you would have two 90 mile an hour bowlers slightly different kind of 90 mile an hour bowlers in your side which means that they could have continued to pick you know stokes and anderson Anderson Broad, sorry, into that point and have a specialist, yeah, and have a specialist spinner in that lineup if they wanted to. They could have picked another all-rounder as well. So it would have been quite flexible. That's how it would have worked in test cricket. One-day cricket, what would you do in one-day cricket? You pick Flintoff probably as number seven as well, and you use Stokes as your number five, and you use Stokes as your sixth bowling option without him ever having to bowl anymore. And uh, Freddie bowls his full 10, and then he is a floater in the batting order. I think that's a really good lineup. Uh, T20 cricket, obviously, you know, Fre Freddie could have kind of batted anywhere. I, I still think that, you know, Stokes, that's probably where the one thing where Stokes, Freddie's batting maybe makes more sense than Stokes' batting just because of the way they play. And you play him as maybe, a, you know, occasionally a power play um, pinch hitter with Freddie, and then, you know, he comes in automatically in the 15th over. And he bowls his full four overs. And again, if you have Stokes in that lineup, you have the ability for him to be a very, very high quality sixth bowler. 
I think in white ball cricket, that's I think that's Stokes' best role, and I think that's always been his problem. Is people have tried to get the maximum overs out of him, and he can't do it. It's a really interesting question, though, Ian. All right. Josh says, uh, do you think Bolt should will play at the World Cup? Yes, I think he will play. Um, I think, you know, having a quality left armor who understands Asian conditions makes sense. I th- I'd be surprised if they didn't go in with him. Also, you have the fielding with Bolt as well and the experience with Bolt. There's a lot of different aspects to that. Whether he does is more a political question, I think, uh, than anything else. But if I was running New Zealand cricket and I just lost Williamson, I think having Bolt around probably makes a lot of sense. I think Guptill and uh, Bolt might, may get in now um, just through a leadership vacuum as much as anything else, an experience vacuum. Is that a thing? It's a thing now. Uh, but yeah, I think from those perspectives, it probably makes sense for Bolt to go. I haven't looked at his recent ODI record, but because he's been playing in the IPL and, you know, he's, you know, obviously with Mumbai, it kind of makes sense to have him over there, I would have thought. Bloody Bugger says, I typically agree that the players of today are more skilled than those from yesteryear, but I'm not quite convinced that when it comes to playing spin, especially in Asia, are today's players really better than Jay, uh, Jay Award and Dravid? Okay. So the big difference is that what you are comparing them to is players who played against spin in an era pre-DRS. And certainly before the bowlers got completely optimized to bowling towards DRS. So when you look at something like that, it it, it has become a lot more difficult to play that. And, and you go on to talk about that in your question as well. So I can't remember. I might have been Justin Langer was talking to the Australian players once about playing spin. And I was, I, it wasn't on the documentary, but it might have been something he, he was talking about at a press conference and he was saying something. And I was thinking, everything he's just said doesn't make any sense because of DRS. Now, I think uh, Jay Warden and Dravid are probably two examples of players who, I'll say worked it out, but evolved with it a little bit more than some of the other players. And there's absolutely no doubt that they were, you know, top level players. But they also didn't have to play on the kinds of wickets that say, modern Indian test matches have had to go out against. The averages haven't dropped massively against spin, though. So I think when people are talking about that, they're really talking about India, and then you've got pitches that are purposely juiced up for some of the best spin balls in the world, and, you know, Joe Root's taking wickets on them, right? And, you know, uh, you know Matt Kuhneman is coming in on work experience and taking wickets. So I think from that perspective, I think you'd be a little bit... I don't think that's the best way of looking at it. I think that around the rest of the world, I haven't seen the numbers drop off against spin bowling uh, outside of India. Uh, that much. I'm, I haven't looked of recent times, so maybe there has been a drop off. But the last time I checked, um, the averages against spin held up pretty well. So I just think it's way harder to play spin now. And I think over the last five years or so, maybe after Graham Swan, maybe Rangana Harath kind of worked out DRS bowling. Uh, from that moment onwards, it's been really hard for everyone. Every spin has the template now of what they need to do. Uh, Christopher says, if when the IPL does expand further, do you think we're likely to get uh, one longer window or do you think they may split it up into two, have April, May, and then October, November? I, I think from cost perspective and from how TV works, I think it would make much more sense for them to have it all in one go, sponsors and everything else. But I actually, from what I've heard, there is a bit of a movement towards having the two tournaments. I, I think in the long run, that's a bit stupid and you're just better off to have one long con- tournament. However, you know, uh, if that is, is that is the way they go, there's, there, there's, I think there's strengths in it. For instance, 
they are probably looking at the season at the moment and seeing a dip in their figures. But I think you see that with most sporting leagues in the world. You know, there's the excitement that's back, then you've got the mid-season games, and then the finals are coming back and every, you know, everyone sort of starts tuning in again. I don't have an issue with that, but I can understand why people are thinking, well, if we just had two-month tournament and two-month tournament, you know, maybe we could mitigate some of that. Um, I'm not, maybe they're right, but it just feels to me that you would have a winner who wins a tournament and then, what, six months later, you'd have another winner? That may cause its own kind of burnout, a, a different kind of burnout. So my guess is that eventually they will come to the belief that they're better off in having a four-month-long season than two two-month-long seasons or whatever they, they their alternate uh, vision is. But there are certainly people within uh, the IPL structure who believe the opposite of that. Uh, Prashant says, uh, footballers have clauses in their contracts about uh, not pursuing certain activities. Uh, for instance, for example, Bayern Munich is reportedly thinking about adding a no skiing policy. Uh, yeah, lots of leagues, uh, lots of sports around the world have things like this. Will we see such clauses, including in cricketers' contracts too, uh, like no coffee? Yeah, that's quite funny. Uh, larger question: How much will the franchises and boards dictate a player's lifestyle and fitness as we move ahead? Look, they're already doing it. I can't think of any cricket board that has a specific rule, but I think if you were a player with if you were a fast bowler and you went and did bungee jumping, I think that would be frowned upon. I know there was a cricket board that didn't want their players to be on most bikes. So that has though I don't know if these things are in contracts or not at the moment. Uh, and when you're talking about franchises like Bayern Munich, they have individual contracts, which are a little bit different to what international contracts are going for. But I do think there are probably franchise contracts that might suggest things like that. But I think at the moment you don't get paid if you get injured anyway, so the, you know, in a lot of those leagues, um, or you get very small base pay or whatever it is, I can't remember the full details now. So it doesn't really make sense for you to go out and do it, any of those things, um, as it currently stands. And Gary says, deferring to your superior knowledge on leg spin, I, I mean, it could be everything. Have you seen much of Ben White? Um, I just made his first class debut in a test match as extremely um has extremely overspin based action. Ireland seemed determined to blood him, but I'm not sure there's enough uh to work with. So someone um I, I haven't seen much of this this test match, but someone sent me clips on him. I can't remember why, but um someone sent me clips on him at one stage. Look, it there's an energy that I suppose he has on the ball, but I need to see a little bit more on him and really do some, you know, some deeper analysis to have a look at it. Ireland are desperate for left arm pace and wrist spin because those are the areas that they've really struggled in since they've come uh, to cricket. I'm trying to remember who that wrist spinner was. Like a part time. Is it Eric Dolling? I can't remember. The, whoever the part time left spinner that they have is, you know, they're really desperate for those sorts of things. They want, you know, part of the problem with Ireland cricket has been. It's not that they haven't produced good players, but they've all been kind of similar, right? You know, sort of right arm, medium, fast type guys and sort of solid knock it around type batters. They really do need to find, you know, more dynamic types of players, uh, you know, at that, the top level. You, I talk about this all the time. You need to be able to problem solve. You need to be able to come up with different lineups. Um, you need to have players with unique skill sets that match with each other rather than a bunch of players who are all the same, you know, to, to talk about their neighbours. Neighbours, is that the right way of putting it? Well, close enough. Uh, Scotland, you know, the, the whole left arm, you've got two spinners that are probably um, 
especially in white ball anyway, more talented than any spinner in Ireland, but they both happen to be left-arm finger spinners. Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber. We will take a break, and uh, after the break, I'll go through the comments. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right. Welcome back. A carnival of sorts says, has international cricket been conspiring for years to simply prevent Andy McBride from reaching his destiny of being the true MVP in Asia? Uh, the Irish uh, ravages Asia. Um, I, I mean, if you follow my work, you probably know that I'm obsessed with Andy McBride. Absolutely love him. I, I don't know if I talked about this one, uh, before, but I once interviewed him and he looked at his feet the entire interview and mumbled. And I, I'm not sure I understood a word that he said or, or that he said anything at all. Um, but I love the way he plays his cricket, I, uh, uh, the way he goes about it. So I'm, I'm glad he's having a good test match. I'm, I think it stumps there uh, as I record this. Was he still in? But they, he was uh, 60 odd, I think, last time I had a look. Um, Look, he, no, brilliant uh, that he's doing well over there. He took the six for as well. Obviously, you know, evolved forever and was probably, just so putting it, was helped out by the fact that he didn't have the best uh, spinners at the other end to chip in. But he, look, he's a fantastically interesting cricketer because he is limited, but he works very hard. But he's also, I think he's off, he's, he's standard off break. He's actually really good. The amount of times I've seen him bowl against the very good players of spin and he checks them. Uh, look, I'm not um, president and CEO of the um, of the uh, Andy McBride thing, and it's great to see some of the players um, start to refer to him uh, online as the pinch blocker and 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 uh, sort of join in on the fun. And it was, you know, what hey, it wasn't really about him. It was kind of about Imran Khan as much as anyone. But it was a um, it was meant to say that what a remarkable cricketer is to be able to do the things that he does. So I'm glad that he's having such a good test. Imagine Ireland is still, are they still going at the moment? What are they, 131 runs ahead? You know, probably by the time this podcast is out, you know more or less <laughs> what the result is. But if you're listening live on YouTube, you know, they're giving themselves a chance, you know, that's all you can ask for. Uh, Imran says, uh, did you see, uh, we'll have no DRS at the World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Um, a billion dollar game. They sell these TV rights for great amounts. They go on and on and on about how much money they make and how well they're doing. And then they cut corners. I, I don't know if anyone saw this in the, um, I want to say it was Canada and Namibia. Uh, but it's Jong did the tweet, but I think that was the game. There was a moment where the umpire at the bowler's end was in completely the wrong position for a run out. And look, everyone makes mistakes and everything else, but you should, umpires really shouldn't be in the wrong position. I, I, I've got more sympathy for them making the wrong, uh, you know, making the wrong call. That happens all the time and all those sorts of things. But you shouldn't not be in the right position. That's a really basic thing. And he was, he didn't go anywhere near the crease. I don't know how he would have seen the run out correctly. Um, it was a really bizarre moment. Now, that is you know, a lower level again, 
But these teams are playing for their World Cup future. And their World Cup future means millions, millions of dollars. It sometimes can change the way um, a sport can go. In fact, you know, I've, this is one of my favorite stories is the Denmark story, where Denmark ended up playing uh, Sri Lanka in the semifinals of the 1979 qualifiers. And they basically did that because Sri Lanka had uh, forfeited a game against Israel for political reasons. And Denmark played in, you know, one of the other teams. They probably qualified for the final. They go on to look up. At that stage, Denmark cricket was really, really strong. They were producing county players. Cricket had a real movement there. Had they made that World Cup, you know, and maybe, you know, uh, continued to go in the direction that they were going, Denmark's probably a test-playing nation by now, or at the very least, at that level of Scotland or the Netherlands. You could argue that they might have you know, been slightly better than those teams in that period. These things matter. And these teams are playing for a spot in the World Cup, which is huge for them, for the players, for the fans and everything. But for their actual cricket, they're playing for the future. To not have DRS, and we saw it's not, you know, we saw it at the Women's World Cup in 2017 as well. It's just not good enough. It's not acceptable. Uh, and it says, as far as chasing calculation with risk aversion, who is the Michael Bevan equivalent in current T20? I'm assuming you're not counting Emma Stoney there. Uh, does Miller make into that conversation? Yeah, Miller's an interesting one. The new Miller, probably not just because he's so much more explosive than Bevan. But I suppose you kind of have to be more explosive in T20. I, I know this is going to sound silly, but I always thought Pollard kind of followed that. He just did it in a slightly different way. Um, I suppose Coley is another one when he's chasing, um, you know, keeping it there. Um, I don't know if he still counts as, you know, modern D20 player in that way. I would have thought Miller is probably more, you know, that newest style of uh, a T20 player rather than someone like Bevan, just in that Miller doesn't quite, I'd have to go through the numbers, but I don't think Miller quite leaves it to the last minute. I wonder if Aiden Markram off the top of my head might not be someone who could be in that similar mold. Maybe he hasn't done enough to be the Michael Bevan, of course, but um, I feel like I've seen a few times where he's taken a game deep when I wouldn't have thought he had to. Oh, where are we? Nikon says, other than baseball, are there skills from other sports that have changed cricket? Uh, drag flick in hockey? Not sh- uh, well, um, uh, and you've also mentioned uh, tennis, the tennis backhand. So I'm not sure about drag flick in hockey, unless you know of a particular um, example. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. The one that I was thinking of uh, was uh, obviously the, and now I've forgotten the name, is it um, hurling? Uh, you know, the, the players who played hurling having more ability to play reverse sweeps and everything else. Um, I thought the um, the hockey did play a part. I'm not sure the, the drag flip specifically, but I thought hockey did play a part in changing some of the techniques on the way that players played. Um, it's players like Josh Butler played, who I think was a hockey player. I think that's right. I think if you have a look, the way that Surrey players would talk about their power game, they would talk about it much more like in a way that golfers did. So that certainly played a big part in the way that people were thinking about hitting the ball. Uh, the other one, uh, the tennis backhand that you're talking about, I don't know. I've never heard a player talk about this, but I can only talk about from my experience as a tennis player. When I first started playing the reverse sweep, I was completely lost. Until one day, just almost 
accidentally I just played it like a you know tennis backhand and suddenly I was like well this is easy I almost felt more comfortable sometimes turning around um, against the spinner than I did just playing with a straight bat um, so I'm assuming I'm not the only player and I do know that George Bailey is a very very good tennis player um, me and him are still supposed to have a, t- um, a match against each other one day um, although he I think he plays a lot so he probably kick my ass plus you know he's a professional athlete so he definitely kicked my ass um, uh, but um, he was a tennis player, and I've never seen him play, but I can only guess he has a double-handed backhand, and he was someone who played the reverse sweep a lot. And I'm trying to remember John Dewey Rhodes, if his was, if he was another hockey player. So, yeah, um, those are the ones off the top of my head. Um, trying to think what else. Obviously, Kabaddi. No, not Kabaddi. What, what's the one where you flick um, uh, your not, um, you flick your fingers? Um, is certainly another one that would have played a part. I think those are the ones off the top of my head. Um, I think if you really think about sport, there's so many different things that can help you from other sports, but they're not always completely obvious. And sometimes it's probably more subconscious. Uh, Amit says, Virat said himself that they're having a contract with the BCCI about not doing adventure sports. Yeah, no, now you've said that, Amit, you're right. I, um, just going back to that question before, I do remember that. And I think I've got a feeling Cricket Australia has something similar in their contracts as well. Um, they do, there is a certain amount of um, freedom given to the players as well, just from, uh, just from the point of, I don't think they've quite got to the the level of, demanding that players completely do what they want at all times. But uh, there's no doubt that we are getting to that point in cricket. Rinal says, instead of impact player, what if two teams could exchange their 11th man with each other? Um, cricket would play like Among Us. I haven't played Among Us, and I haven't even got my kids, so um, I can't um, do that. Yeah, but I do think, I know, I know this is going to sound weird, but I do think there's a lot of cool, things you could do with substitutions uh going ahead but when you talk about that sort of thing that actually makes me think more about yeah especially for international cricket and why even domestic cricket but that's another story but i really think we could you know have a lot more fun with trades i was talking to someone the other day and they were saying you know would rahan where would rahan for zimbabwe and you know how handy would he be and you know all these there are so many good cricketers out there that sort of fade away really early because there are two players at their position you know um, folks, let's say Besto gets the gloves back and folks gets squeezed out. How many other teams could use a folks? So I like the idea of changing players, maybe not particularly within the game. Um, although, hey, let's just go with it. Sabi uh, Sapsi says, frustrating that umpires slow the game down by referring to even simple run-outs thumpings and being in the right position to judge them. Can umpires be trusted to make wide height no ball calls? Well, they shouldn't be. I've said that for a long time. The technology's there. That's easy enough to fix. On your first point, it's really just, and I, I don't know how long you've been watching cricket, but when that law first came in, umpires were a lot more willing to give stuff out on the field, and they occasionally made mistakes. And, you know, they didn't see that the foot had slightly raised or that, the, you know, the ball had been fumbled or whatever it may be, all those little little things that are hard to see. Um, and because of that, it makes sense to do it. I, I understand the frustration. Don't get me wrong. I, I think the bigger frustration quite often is the speed of which the replays go. If you've watched the hundred, it does feel like there's a better way to be able to do this than we currently have them. Uh, but yeah, I look, I definitely get the, yeah, I de- definitely get the point of that um, so far. Um, but 
I think we'd rather get the better decisions uh, rather than anything else. Uh, last two, Dex says, the Dutch women's cricket team has been the majority of players who are ethnically Dutch. Why isn't this case with the men's team? What is ethnically Dutch? Are South Africans ethnically Dutch? I'm not even sure um, how that works. Oh, sorry, forgot to press the button on that one. Uh, Dex, um, so I don't really know what ethnically Dutch means, like, in this context, uh, because obviously, you know, there are a lot of South African players who might consider themselves ethnically Dutch um, because of their family members. But um, uh, I would assume that there are, because of the way that cricket works and the professionalism uh, within uh, the men's game, that there are more men available out there that can be poached to play professionally who might have passports and family members who are Dutch and less when it comes to women, certainly when it comes to the women being known. Uh, there aren't that many professional women out there to pick from at this age, so that might be something that would change in the future. Um, that, but that would be my guess, that they're literally, you know, for the men's team, they're out there looking at players from, you know, Australia and New Zealand, um, India, Pakistan, who have connections to, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Netherlands. And with the women's team at the moment, you know, I, I would say that that's probably, there's probably not as, um, as much of an overflow of players. There's probably not as many Tom Coopers out there in women's cricket or Ryan Descartes out there in women's cricket. Uh, it's not that, you know, there are the top level players third degree of player. I could be wrong, but that, that would be my, that would be my guess. That would make the most sense to me. Um, thinking about it. And last one. Oh, uh, Korak, I think. Uh, how impressed are you with how Lorcan Tucker has developed over the past year or so? Look, I thought Lorcan Tucker was, well, at best maybe a plucky number six, um, 32 average guy, 28 to 32 average guy. Um, I thought he could hit the ball pretty well, so he could be handy in white ball cricket. The last, what, eight months? I mean, you say last year, I think maybe even less than that. Six months, eight months, he's just been so much better than that. His development has shocked me. I, I certainly didn't see this coming from him. My biggest worry for them was that I thought Harry Tector was a very good player and Lorcan Tucker was you know, a good supporting player, but what they really needed was another player of Tector's um, talent. I'll make sure I'm saying Tector and Tucker. They're, they're not even that similar. For some reason, my brain mixes them up. Um, and it looks like I'm wrong. At this stage, it looks like Lorcan Tucker might be maybe not the better player, but might go on to have as good a record as Harry Tector um, and might be better in all three formats than Harry Tector is. Fantastic player so far. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely did not see this coming. I'd seen watching for about a year and a half. So I, I had a few balls that I look at, and I think he's, he's developing so fast. And it would be really interesting to see uh, where he will be in a year, year and a half because you do have periods, of course, where you can – make a lot of runs kind of before everyone works you out a little bit. Um, that doesn't quite feel like the case with him at the moment. And, you know, we talked about Andy McBride before, but obviously um, uh, Lorca Tucker's 100 in that test match, you know, is given the chance of, of uh, you know, of a win or at least a sniff of a win or at least not getting punched in the face. So huge from them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm a, a really impressed with the way his game has improved so fast from – as I said, like more of a what, a semi-specialist to at the very least at the moment he looks like a specialist and he's starting to look like a really important player going into the future. 
Anyway, that's the end of Wagon Wheel today. Uh, we will, if you're listening to this on the podcast, there'll already be a video on the site about Samuel Badry. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll have to wait uh, for a few hours before that gets uploaded. Um, but uh, big thanks to everyone again for putting in the questions. If you want to ask questions 100% on this, the best way to do it is via Patreon. Uh, and if you are listening live on YouTube, the best way to get your questions um, asked is to ask about Aubrey Faulkner or uh, to um, do a super chat. Those are the two best ones. But thank you very much again for all your support. And we will see you again next time, uh, which will probably be what will be covered in a few days' time, of which we are hoping that Barrett Sundarason actually exists. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Podcast Network. Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. 
No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.